Hi, I'm the Ashaman who shows up to the last battle with a piece of butter toast going, Oh god, what did I miss? Dalen. Hi, I'm Rob, the fourth best pair of Matt's boots that he so egregiously forgot about in his story. Rob. And welcome to a brand new series called Loyal Spoils, an adjacent podcast where I talk with a guest about the chapters discussed in the regular podcast, Loyal's Book Club, but with full spoilers, because having to restrain myself has gotten a little too much, and I just need to let those spoilers fly. And this is our inaugural episode, and what a fantastic guest to have on to this very first episode. How are you doing, Rob, on this uh, Wheel of Time month? I am... Uh, overwhelmed is a good word but i am happy to be here like i my stuff is all spoilers like you know that that's my bread and butter i very rarely do spoiler free um so you know this is this is my wheelhouse buddy and i'm i'm happy to be here and nice. I, I didn't realize this was your inaugural episode so um i i feel honored for that thank you so much i appreciate it yeah no problem yeah this was a very sort of spur of the moment decision between eric and i we realized hey, we're, we're both really busy, but I think we want to keep some content coming out. And I think this is kind of a fun variety of things to uh, talk about and to uh, kind of get uh, a deeper discussion of the series as a whole. Because I feel like with the first time reader, it's very fun. But I feel like with someone who's finished the series, you can have a little bit more where at this point in the book, and it's fun to kind of see all the little details Robert Jordan puts in along the way, you know? Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and Fires of Heaven is a is a really a uh, is a big one in the series. I think it's where everything in really Rand's story changes the most, you know. We he at the by the end of this book he's lost Moraine and Asmodian, two people who are kind of the really the few people that are on his side in a sense you know yeah that's very true because i mean asmodian has his own motives but i feel like it's like i don't know like it was either rand or he's gonna get killed by the other forsaken so <laughs> yeah <laughs> either way he was fucked and you know <laughs> poor guy <laughs> Yeah, he didn't have a good time of things. Um, it was, I mean, I'd like to think that Asmodian cared genuinely about, you know, Rand winning and such, but it, it was definitely more a case of, well, I need to save my own ass here, and literally this is my only choice, so I'm going to go for it and not be a dick about it, but not be super engaged and enthused either. I yeah. think it's kind of where he landed on that situation. Yeah, very much. Lame info, but it's the yeah. Oh yeah, no, no. If you're three thousand something years old, and you're facing the apocalypse, and you're kind of like at a point where you have to go, I think he's out for his own self because, and I think like he realizes he's kind of fucked because Landfear shielded him and doesn't have a, I don't know, um. Rand is really his only possible way out, maybe. Yeah. I think he 
I mean, this is a fan fiction that Master of the Deck could come up with. Like, he could, there's a whole thing with their relationship that he could try to get Rand on his side and then eventually release him and all that jazz. But that is for a little later. This is, uh, we are going to be discussing the prologue to Fires of Heaven. Um, a very uh, dark, like it was, uh, reading it for the first time going through this series, I kind of just went, oh shit, Elida's here, you know, she has control of the White Tower, and then you get kind of Fane, and then you get the Forsaken, and then rereading this again, kind of knowing where everything ends it, with Elida, with Alviarn, with the White Tower, with the women who are there with uh, Elida at this moment, there's this weird sense of anticipation and this sense of you're watching these things unfold and you you're almost powerless to stop it you know and i think that's the great thing about reading the series again but also where i don't uh that makes it also a bit of a difficult read you know yeah it is as you say dark is a great way to describe this um particularly on a reread but it's it has a certain level of um very ominous um to just read you think well we know a little you know elida's not proven herself to be amazing um no we we don't like elida and and then as you say we get you know other other influences going on um and just the whole situations you're like there's a lot here that's not great and you know and then thane is doing his bit and you're like um this is not gonna end well no matter what um, and it just, and there's no conclusion to that in the prologue. It's like, let's start yeah. a book and show you this massive stack of dominoes that, you know, is just, you know, is not going to work out well. And oh, yeah. then we'll move on to something else. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 And um, so I re listened to the prologue this morning on like 1.5 speed because I'm like, this thing is an hour. So let's, <laughs> you know, I got to kind of get this in as soon as possible. And, I love Kate Redding's reading of this and, you know, we have Elida in the white tower, kind of worst case scenario, you know, you like as not as much as Swan kept things from Min and from Rand and Moraine as well. You kind of at least have that confidence of there's someone on his side there. Um, Having a light in the tower, really, Alviarin is the Omerlin seat, you know? Mm-hmm. You can see that early on, and it was also kind of a, uh, it clicked for me that this whole Elida-Alviarin th- uh, plot arc is such a parallel for when Egwene becomes Omerlin as a sort of puppet for the uh, Saladar uh, Tower but how they go about owning up to being a puppet, I feel like is completely different. Yeah. Elida never thinks she's a puppet until Alviarin forcibly sort of, you know, you are, you're my puppet. You're going to do what I tell you. Whereas Egwene turned up and was just like, okay, they're going to make me that puppet and I'm going to play that game a little bit, but it's going to be different. Something I, I don't know how I've never made this comparison before, but I've just, realize that they both have black keepers like oh because um who is it's uh 
Oh, brain freeze now. Um, is this Shirium? Uh, there we go. Shirium. Yes. Okay. I always have right. to think, what was her title when we first meet her? Mistress of the Novices, that's why. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, they're both Black yeah. Gaja. Oh, my God. Yeah, I admittedly, like, anything past, like, Fires of Heaven, I'm, like, so, like, oh, what happens? Like, I know, like, <laughs> Do My Spells, Abudar, Cleansing of Siding, um, Last Battle, but... Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure the last battle's there somewhere. <laughs> it, it's book six or something. But um, it's just, like, going in... Because I've read books one through five, like, three times at this point. I've only read six through 14 once. Oh, and because wow. so much has happened, so much happens in those books that going back into those that sequence of books with Eric is going to almost feel like a first time. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I know vaguely of like right because then we have like elaine's uh, arc of her coming back into power we have like the other isodai in the tower who are searching for the black gaja like there's just a and like the shan chan and all of, like so much happens so when i fully started this side podcast with the confidence that i will remember anything beyond these books but i'm glad that i will have guests who are a bit more knowledgeable and will be able to go oh right this and i'm like right you know because it's a good reverse of when eric goes so this happens and i go i think yeah (laughs) yeah i've been reading these books for oh gosh about 20 years now oh wow and um yeah i picked them up when i was about 15 or so and yeah i've read I think they were on like book seven at that stage, book eight. Um, so I've read those all the way through. And then every time a new book came out, read them again. Um, so I've read the first 11, oh God, at least a dozen times. Like oh, the first wow. book I must, uh, the first book I must have read getting on towards 20 times. Um, you know, like the first four or five or something like that. Yeah. But uh, the last three books I've only read three times. And I'm including listeners in that because I've I've read them and listened to them. Um, so I'm including listens when I just say I've read them I'm, that includes the listens that I've done as well but uh, yeah it's um, it's it's a lot of words it's a lot of content it's great content but um, you know when the times they came out it was it was tough to keep up but oh, even yeah. I it, it blurs together you know <laughs> I, I do those wheel of time quizzes and they're like in which book did this happen and I was like um the second half of the series maybe yeah. um you know <laughs> I'm terrible for those facts it, oh, yeah. just yeah so don't feel bad if you don't remember i've read them more <laughs> times than you have and even i'm struggling with that sort of stuff so um it's yeah because it's like i my first try with the series was in 2018 2017 2018 because i found a article that was like books to read uh while you wait for winds of winter which is never gonna happen and they said <laughs> wheel of time and i was just like they're like oh it's a classic fantasy series and i went okay sure let me try it and so i read books one to four like in quick succession one after the other and then i was like i'm very burnt out and so instead of being normal and taking a break i just said i'm i'm giving up on the series so i sold all the books and then like maybe a month or so later i went no i kind of want to give it another try so i bought all the books again and um by the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, yes, I finished book four. And I said, okay, it's going to take me like three years to finish this series because it's 
14 books plus New Spring. I can't do all that. I finished A Memory of Life for the first time of in November of 2019. Like, wow. I think I finished, I think, like, Gathering Storm and Towers of Midnight within two weeks. Like, it took me <laughs> 20 days to finish those two books. And I was like, oh, my God. And then A Memory of Life happened. And, you know, because a lot of A Memory of Light is Trollocs attack. We fall back. The Trollocs attack again. And then we're all pulling back and, mm-hmm. you know, waiting to get to that last, the last battle chapter. I had time at, uh, like, I had, like, two hours left in my shift at work. And I got to maybe like like 30 pages into the last battle and then it all started to pick up and i'm in my car crying finishing it going having to meet a friend for dinner going (laughs) (laughs) oh wow i was emotionally wrecked and i was like okay i don't think i could finish the i don't think i can do this series it's going to take a while to reread it and then 2020 happened i was like let's reread the wheel of time yes and then I got started getting into the fandom and then started the podcast. But Nice. <laughs> it's been a very wonderful journey. And I got to imagine as someone who's been with the series for as long as you have, like, what do you, like, because there had to have been, like, talk among the fa- amongst the fandom for, like, a series. And so, like, I know this is so off topic from the prologue of Fires of Heaven, but I think it's just fun to talk about. Just well, well, blame me, a- folks. I'm the king of tangents, so blame me. Oh. Same. I am. Eric and I will be talking about the moral implications of what Aglaine did to Nynaeve in Teleranrio oh. in this book. And then 20 minutes later, we're talking about frogs or something. <laughs> or we're talking about the filmography of Linda Cardellini. Like, there is no. And I told Eric, I'm like, we can edit this out. It's fine. But, like, no, I love tangents. But. Nice. So, what is it like? How does it. Like, what were your initial feelings of, like, when you know, someone who's been with the series for about 20 or so years, when it's like, oh, it's been, because there was Winter Dragon, which is notoriously a mess. Yeah, I'm on the I like Winter Dragon. Um, Not for the actual quality of the end product. (laughs) I totally see the issues with it, and I totally understand why Harriet was pissed off with it, and all those bits and pieces. But I... I don't know, there's something about seeing the prologue put on the screen just that you only get if you've read the books. You only understand what's happening if you read the books, even if it's done poorly. And there's something about that that appeals to me. Um, And as shitty as that situation was for, you know, for Harriet and other things like that, and it's quite unhanded, it's not very ethical, it did eventually lead to us getting this situation of the tv show so i yeah. can't hate on winter dragon too much although the dusty bill cut is a far far superior version of it um yeah so uh, i and now i was aware of facebook groups that's Boy. it when it came to fandom stuff so for many 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 years i met no one who read these books and i mean no one um i met one person once and they were like oh yeah i read it but i gave up and i was just like "Ugh." (laughs) and then i met one person in 2019 who'd read them and then described a very different story to me even though he was using the right character names he described a brandon sanderson book instead of a robert jordan book i'm like that's brandon sanderson (laughs) no it's not um yeah i'm pretty sure it is i've read that brandon sanderson book like three times um you know so that was until i found 
uh, Jordan Con online because you know, thank you COVID for that at least. Yeah. Um, all I had was a couple of Facebook groups where it was just talking about various bits and pieces and fan casting and you know all the usual garb that they do. They didn't have anything to latch onto and destroy yet. Right. Um, it, you know, so I didn't really have much on the go. And then COVID hit. Jordan Con went online. I watched the reveal panel. Uh, Rafe zoom bombed. That was my first introduction to the online fandom, really. And I was like, what is this? And so I went and found the Dusty Wheel, and then I discovered Discord, and then I discovered Twitter of Time, and I was like, ooh, I've had 20 years of not being able to share this, or near enough 20 years. Um, I feel like I'm just going to give my entire soul to this right now. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Because I've spent twenty years alone, basically. Yeah. I, I literally, I, I, I gave the books to friends. I gave the books to my brothers, who are both prolific readers. Um, they both were like, "Oh, yeah, really interesting. Thanks, thanks, Rob. You brought us a book for Christmas. Appreciate that." Puts it to one side, maybe reads a chapter. That's it. And I'm just like, ah, you know, it's. I, my mother has read more books than most people I know, and even she wouldn't pick it up. Uh, although she's very, very excited for the TV show. Um, nice. It's just, you know. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time with with no one to share this with, and um, the past eighteen months, uh, well, two years, but mostly eighteen months, have been a just a massive change in my life, and one I would not uh, alter for anything in the world. So, I feel that you know because I'm the I'm kind of the same way, except my experience is only three years, and I spent it on the subreddit initially oh, oh. Which, isn't, that the, isn't that the other facebook <laughs> i mean in terms of like you know the negative nellies yeah but then they've all migrated to what the white cloak subreddit which i <laughs> went to and i went wow i said like because really on the facebook they are on the subreddit the big thing is they're mostly bitching about the the female the dragon could be a woman and like, I'm kind of like, you realize that that means nothing, but the White Cloak subreddit, I'm just like, oh, so this is where, like, the troll, like, the genuine, just gross people hang out. And they're like, let's call the main sub the Blight. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. It's, it's ridiculous. And so, um, I was on the subreddit for a while, and then I was like, I wonder if there's any, like, podcasts or anything like that. So I found uh what spoilers first and i listened to it and i was like oh, okay this is great and then i think i found wheel of time i watched like the flight from the shadow and then i came upon the christmas thing about two years i think like when way of the leaf was like just like beginning like i think like oh yeah when they were like in like I think like a boardroom or something, it looked like a boardroom or something, and it was like yeah, I remember uh, Dan. I remember I watched them too at that stage. Well, I say I watched them at that stage. I still watch them. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it came across totally the wrong way there. But I remember when they started, they recorded. So they live in different parts of the country, uh, Dan yeah. and brother. Sorry, brother Dan and Ryan, and um, they just did pre-recorded video, and then they decided to go live instead. So, uh, but they had very different puppets when they started, so it was like a weird transition. Um, but uh, God, yeah, I remember those days. Wow. And like, uh, I think it was like, and then I did the New Year's thing where 
the white it was like the white tower podcast was still Mm -hmm. going and then yeah and then i got to know everybody on twitter of time because i would just make really horny twitter posts polls (laughs) like i think that's how i got a lot of followers because i'd be like who has the biggest dick of the Taveran? But we are off track. Let's get back to... Uh, so we were kind of talking about how um, really this is Alviarin's White Tower. And I think Elida is there really only in name. And I think there's a lot... It, we There's a lot more political maneuvering because obviously, notoriously, Blues and Reds um, have been... Uh, at each other's throats uh, for a while. And so obviously it would make sense for a red to pose a blue. Um, but, you know, it's funny because like in this, like listening to all these names again, I'm like, oh, we have Alviarin, who is a black Aja. We have Danelle, who is Masana in disguise. And then we have Matt's future best friends, uh, Jocelyn and uh, Teslin. In there, I think I forgot. I was like, "Oh right, they're here," and um, we have in the room with us a forsaken and a black sister. So, you know, and I don't think Alviar knows that Danelle is Masana. It's again the sort of like um, how much the uh, Black Aja knows. I mean, they do have a moment. Leander has a moment. Uh, with Mogedian a little bit later in the book where she says, where Mogedian says, yeah, whoever you answer to in the tower, you're not answering to them anymore. You're answering to me. So it makes me wonder if maybe Masana was working with the Black Aja. I don't know. Like, I think it's one of those things I'll probably need to dig into, but it's interesting to know that she's just been there and it's a little creepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So I always... I always forget who Masana is um, in the tower. And so whenever I see the name, it never pinks in my head to be like, oh, yeah, that's Masana. Um, <laughs> so when you said that, I was like, wait, there's a Forsaken in the room. And then you said, Danelle, and I'm like, oh, of course, yes. I, there we go. So I had a moment of panic thinking, am I in the wrong book now? What's going on? Um, <laughs> We're actually doing Lord of Chaos now. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just crazy how much they get around um, and just sitting there in the background, just, you know, and Alviarin has no idea either. You know, it's just like, ugh. oh, yeah. And it was, I was telling Eric, because, like, we started this podcast strangely on the last, like, third of The Dragon Reborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, hey, just a little, like, so you can start thinking. Whenever they mention, yeah, this random lord just appeared and took power. Because, like, that's when we first met with Lord Gabriel and then the Lol as Lord, I think it's, like, it's literally, I have been saying Lord Salmon because that's how it's kind of spelled. <laughs> and so, you know, it was one of those things where you have to kind of like, obviously let Eric find out, the first time reader find out like, oh, Gabriel is Ravine. But there were some times where I had to go, so we are, uh, when we covered this, bro, like I said, so I need you to know, I this isn't a big spoiler, but you should know this is Ravine. Because, um, you know, there we this whole prologue. I feel like really is start starting to set the seeds for what will be Dumai's Wells, because Elida is noticing that while they're also not talking, acknowledging her, 
they're not acknowledging the fact that Randall Thor has named himself Dragon Reborn. And she, for a lot of Elida's somewhat incompetence, I kind of was like, no, I can't, like she did what she needed to do for the, uh, to get them to take action finally against Ran and to kind of spur this plot on, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, but, you know, and again, it's that little noticing the things of like they talk about uh, Mazram Taim is gone. And I think this was still when Robert Jordan was doing Tamandrid, I believe, which I. I don't know if, how popular this opinion is, but I want them to do Master Taim to Mandred in the show. I liked it. And when I found out, oh, they're two separate, I went, oh. I've, I was a little disappointed. I've heard people talk about that, and I can see why they would want that. And if they did that, I wouldn't be there just like, eh. But I want, um, very, I'll make it, I promise it's a quick tangent, but talking about the TV show, <laughs> I want surprises i don't want to have Varen appear and for the entire series us to be like yeah she's black Arja, she's a double agent all that sort of stuff and then get the green dress moment at the end and be like yep see told you that's boring i want to be as surprised watching the tv show as i was the first time i read that dress is green you know like i want to be that surprised watching i want to be like uh, which one is the Forsaken? Is it this one? I want the red herrings. I want them to put Danelle in there. I want them to put, um, you know, other characters in there where you're like, oh, this is this or that's that. I, I, it, <laughs> book purists will hate me, yeah. but I want the changes. Um, so. Oh, I do too. I'm kind of like, if you want the books, read the books. No, I actually would like that if they kind of went, if they did what Robert Jordan did in the books and kind of introduced characters and have, that re because i think with the show you want that rewatchability mm-hmm. factor we want like by season seven when they pro or season eight when they get to a memory of like because i think Rafe planned like just kind of like planned out potentially eight yeah seasons. yeah to give like, kind of a rough overlay yeah you want your viewers to be able to go back and see how far in the background land fear was or how i've said when rand gets to the aiel waste have naikomi be in the background like Again, like be amongst like the crowd like where it's like when you rewatch you can go oh that's her but it's mm-hmm. like enough for like the uh who knows who Nakomi is to be able to go back and be able to go oh so they've known where she was going to be or you know i fully agree with you like let's not revamp it but let's bring about the change keep it interesting yeah yeah it it came from me um having a conversation with someone about game of thrones and changing things from book to tv and it, the red wedding was the prime example for this they went into the red wedding turning to all their friends being like <laughs> smugly in their head thinking <laughs> they don't know what's coming i know what's happening and then the red wedding happening and uh rob's wife getting killed which does not happen in the books yeah um you know and she was just as surprised and shocked by the whole Red Wedding event because of that as when she first read the books and as her friends were just watching it in general. And I'm like, she's read the books several times, you know, what books there are, loves them, you know, and was really enjoying the show, was enjoying knowing what was happening. But then 
having the same experience of going, oh my God, that just happened yeah. from the TV show, from a scene that did that to her in the books was such a glorious feeling to her. She's like, oh my God, they caught me out again. I've read these books and I still got caught out and surprised by the same scene. And I'm like, I want that from Wheel of Time. Yeah. You know, and then TV viewers who go read the books will still get that surprise because in the books it'll be different. So I don't want everything changed, but I want the big things to still be a surprise in some way if they can manage it and keep us the core of the story. So Oh, exactly. Yeah. Small small tangent there, sorry. Yeah. And I think <laughs> like and I think that's kind of I think that's what they're like I feel like it's what they're doing because they're introducing so many things in season one, like, you know, with Logan and with you know, Leandrin and having her kind of, I feel like they've been kind of featuring her a bit. So I feel like we're getting a little, like a little bit different uh, of an experience than we would in the book. And so I, yeah, I hope that experience is there. I hope, you know, they take more risks in, you know, kind of not making it safe for our characters. Like, killing mm -hmm. more gays or like not bringing Moraine back, you know, like doing something where, okay. Like, cause I don't want to see the, I want to see the books on screen, but not page by page, you know? And I think it's yeah. important. Like if you want a successful show, you have to take risks and I do hope they do Indeed. that, you know? So uh, I'm going to ask a question on the back on the prologue now, because yes. we try and keep on topic. Yes. Um, so Danelle, they're having the conversation about obviously Gallad and you know um, Elaine and stuff, and how Morgaze um, is concentrated by um, her new uh, what? How do they do? her new lover, Lord Gabriel? Yeah, seems to be keeping her occupied. Um, they're talking about you know Tessin's like okay, well you know we'll we'll keep going under control. Avion's like yeah, he'll be brought under control. All is good, but then Danelle, obviously being Masana. Um, brings up being like, oh, speaking of white cloaks, it appears that Pedro now is conducting secret yeah. negotiations. Blah blah. I'm I'm trying to work out here. Is she putting in some kind of misdirection? Does she not want the discussion about Gawain? Does she want Gawain to continue causing drama here? Is she paying that much attention to Gawain? That line really? also stood out to me as well when I re-listened to it because, like, again, it's like keeping in mind she's a forsaken. So ultimately, what is her? plan here is to create more likely discord amongst you know everything so i think she might have been um i don't know because they talk about gallon and his army are fighting the white cloaks there might have been her like masana might have been going let's like maybe keeping tension between the white cloaks and the ice side maybe trying to start something over there, so the White Tower's fractured even more, maybe? I, I, I do have to point out <laughs> uh, in, in the live chat, <laughs> no one is ever paying that much attention to Gowen. That is true. Which, <laughs> I might be giving too much credit to Gowen. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think, like, because I wanted to, I was operating on the theory when I first read the books, I'm like, oh, like, wouldn't it be cool if, like, Gowen became an Ashaman or something, or, like, got used as bait against Elaine or something and put up. Cause I 
really did think Elaine was not going to make it to the end of the series. And so I thought like, oh, you know, the dark friends or the black gosh is going to kidnap Gowan and use that and really like shake things up a bit. But then when it was like, oh, Gowan just is there for like eight books and then he dies and you're like, okay, but I hope they make him interesting in the show. I hope they do something a little bit more dynamic with him because no, he, he does suck. Like I just saw a meme that was like, hi, um, I'm Gowan. I put on rings that could kill me while my wife is bonded to me and can feel my pain while she leads an army of Aes Sedai in the apocalypse. Like Gowan's just a moron. Like I remember that moment in the books. I went, really? You're going to I. <laughs> It makes me laugh, the stuff he gets up to. Um, and someone on Twitter at time, <laughs> I can't remember how it came up, but uh, they were talking about, I, th- I, I can't remember what it was, but they said, um, how do we cut Gowan? Uh. <laughs> and I replied, with blood knives. <laughs> oh, wah, wah. <laughs> I was like, yes, love that one. Oh my um, God. Yeah. So maybe I'm giving too much, because there's, there's nothing to follow up. On, on that yeah, so cause... perhaps yeah perhaps she's just trying to keep tension between you know get the white cloak still trying to fight and uh you know may, maybe get one of the the princes killed in the process yeah. you know because Cause... that's gonna you know cause Elida some issues um, and i think if i also have to wonder if masana is actively working against um Elida because you know they were talking about the trick hands and it has to kind of be known in the tower how Elida was with Morghese for a while and kind of had work to get there. And, you know, I think if it's, if she does allow a Trican to die at the hands of the White Cloaks, I think then the blame would be shifted onto Elida because it's like, hey, you were like, that's your whole thing. Like, you want to work with, uh, Elaine and be her advisor when she becomes queen because Tricand is the key to surviving the last battle. And I think I think Masana was planting a bit of a seed there. I or trying to, but honestly, I the white cloak plot arc, I remember just like my eyes glazing over every time they reappear because <laughs> I went, okay, we get it. Like Dane Bornhold hates Perrin. He refuses to see any other side of the argument. And then he vanishes. Then he fucks off for a book and then we get him again. And it's like, you know, that's why I'm kind of like, I hope they, they've made the White Cloaks more menacing in the show. And so hopefully there is a bit more of an arc with them, you know, like a sort of Eggy Onan situation with her realizing the Sean Chan propaganda is like, oh, wait, no, that's not right. Like, it would be interesting to see if they did that maybe with, like, Dane or something. Like, just give Dane something else to do other than, like, get drunk and bitch about his father, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a good point. Um, I don't know, it just, uh, just hopped out at me, and I was like, maybe maybe she's trying to stir something, maybe not, but uh, it's not something I'd ever really picked up on before yeah. because i always forget her name um you know but i do love again they talk about um queen tenobia and dabron bashir because saldea has kind of been in the background with you know fayil 
mentioning how she grew up and all of that. Um, and then <clears throat> we see by the end of this book, Davron Bashir kind of makes his first appearance and we start getting that whole friendship with him. Friendship, I don't know if is the right word, but that sort of relationship. <laughs> Again, it's been a while. So all I remember is like, yeah, right. Davram is there. And then Perrin and Fayo come back and all that. Um, but of course, like they're like, so we're going to send some red sisters, make sure they forget who's really in charge here. And it's like, mm, I don't think we ever find out what happens with that with the red sisters they send to Tenobia. I think Tenobia just kind of went like, fuck off, I think, which, you know, good on her. Well, they do, when they eventually turn up to Kyrian, uh, sorry, to Camelin, um, and Elaine uses them as, or, or tries to use them as some kind of, you know, prodding tool to get the other noble houses in line, uh, they do have a number of Aes Sedai with them. So perhaps they just turned up, couldn't change Tenobia's mind about anything and was just like, do you know what? We don't want to go back to the tower, so we'll just pretend we're doing something with Tenobia and hang out here until, you know, we can just go back to a whole tower. Yeah. Or yeah, something like that. I don't know. I, I feel like it was a nice get-out-of-jail-free card for them. Yeah, this was their, like, okay, bye. Because I, yeah. I think they I think they were, I think they saw the writing on the wall and Elida's instability as a leader is the cracks are showing because I think uh-huh. sometimes I think I don't know if she thought things through all the way like I remember I think there was like a throwaway line of like when um like something about like any word about uh Swan and all them and they're like something were dead oh something along yeah. those where it's like dude like you kind of fucked yeah. yourself over you know yeah she's literally like, like oh okay what what's you know um, is when they were tried to leave, and like, I've had no mention of the search for that woman and her companions, and says no need to name that woman. Yeah. Um, and they turn around and be like, well, you know, it, it's kind of hard to uh, to chase up what's going on, like, and try and find her because uh, you know we did kind of tell everyone she died. Yeah, that you. And it's kind of hard to be like, but have, have you seen this person that we killed? Yeah. Like, hey, do you know where they are? Uh, yeah, in the ground where you put them. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> like. Because it's like, I get what she's about, but it's also like, yeah, I don't think even if Elida had been a little bit more like, no, no, Alviarn, you're the Keeper of the Chronicles. You don't get to talk like this. I think I, I think Elida was the perfect pawn for the Black Aja all along because I think they knew, yeah, Elida just doesn't really think she just does and mm-hmm. she's easy to control in that way, you know. Elida, yeah, she's very uh, reactive instead of proactive. Yeah, um, is, is how I like to think of Elida. And I do. Elida's a terrible person. Oh, she is. You know, she's an uh, epically great written in terms of writing. A great character, like she's written extremely well. You know, she's written as a character you're meant to hate, and you're given so many visceral reasons to hate her. Um, that are compelling um and and you do hate her yeah but at the same time i i i just i i do understand why that she thinks the way she does because she's had a piece of information given to her that no one else has and she's like okay this means this and rather than analyze it properly she's just gone I'm running with that. Yeah. And it, that is a guiding principle for life. And just think like 
if you were given the wrong information about a situation and you were just absolutely, totally and undeniably convinced that this was totally true, you would, you know, run based on that information into a situation in a certain way. And you were like, no, this cannot possibly be wrong. So I'm behaving in exactly, I'm doing the right thing here, no matter what, no matter how hard or how bad things get, I'm doing the right thing because this is absolutely true, this information I have. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I can't fault, uh, you know, well, in a way you can't fault that logic, even though she's not taking the time to be like, hey, is this the only way this can be taken? Have I misinterpreted this? You know, once you look beyond her mistake of not having that step in her thought process, you then have to, all of her actions are based upon this is fact. Yeah. And I kind of, there's a small part of me that goes, oh, poor Elida. But then like 99.9% of me goes, what a bitch. Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, the Tricand Tower, the Tricand family is going to be the key to surviving Tarman Gaiden. Do you want to think as to how you can keep the Tricands? by your side so you can assure that happens she's kind of like yeah we don't know where uh galad is we don't know where elaine is we don't know where uh we know where gowan is but anyway like there's no thought we have to find elaine wherever she is find her and bring her back to the tower like Mm -hmm. there's so much where she just goes yeah that'll happen eventually right now it's also like Dude, do you even consider like Rand's connection to House Tracan? Do you even consider yeah. anything? I think, yeah, um, Epiphania said in the chat, I wonder if because she sometimes has that certainty, she's not great at, ex- at assessing probabilities. I don't Very think true. I don't think she does. I don't think she takes she takes her own there's no outside factors to her. It's just her foretelling is correct. And ultimately, that sort of pride is what ends up being her downfall, you know? Yeah. Because Egwene ma- makes it back to the uh, the disaster that is Dumai's Wells <laughs> and, you know, everything that happens afterwards with fucking uh, Egwene coming back and pulling the rug from underneath her and then she gets taken by the uh, Sean Chan. And yeah. we last see her, I think, in Towers of Midnight, you know? Kind of, it's a great rise and fall that i really am excited and hope they do in the show because it's great i mean you see how everyone attached themselves to like joffrey or to cersei when she you know in the seasons where she was actually written well where you hate her but you understand why she is the way she is and you find her so fascinating to watch and i think that's Mm -hmm. what robert jordan does well with these villains you have people like Tuan, or you have Dane Bornhold, or other people who are, you hate what they represent, but you can kind of understand why they are what they are. But I think there's something like beyond the Forsaken and everything else, the truly human antagonists are what stand out. And Elida is one of them. It's like yeah. she has the best of intentions, but she just can't get past her own ego. And I think we see it a lot in this prologue with the fact that she keeps going, no one's looking at me. No one cares about what I think, I guess. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, instead of 
being proactive and going, excuse me, is, is she wearing the stole? She kind of just lets it fester. And yeah. then when everyone's getting up, she's like, uh, excuse me. It's kind of like, no, you don't get to do that. You know, <laughs> I, I think yelling is the mistake as well that she makes here. Yeah. In this scene, um, just being like she's and she starts off really well. You know, she's like, um, you know, did I give you leave to go? Um, you know, what's going? Where is where's the line here? Um, it's oh, it, it, I can't find it. But basically, she's like, did I give you? Yeah, yeah, here it goes. Have I given you leave to go, daughters? And they were the first words that Elida has spoken since telling them to be seated. I mean, that's a mistake right there. Yeah. To just let them chatter and not be involved. Um, but then it becomes she, uh, you know, she she's yelling at them in effect. You know, she's just throwing out a hard tone like silence is a beautiful tool when used effectively yeah you know we're using silence at the right moments can make the other person uncomfortable make them want to talk you know can can gain you so many things but when you start yelling or raising your voice or hardening your tone in a really aggressive manner which is all i'm feeling from elida in this scene um you don't gain respect at best you gain fear um and that's all that she does and that's not going to win people over you can scare people more with a whisper than you can with a yell uh, especially in a position of power that she is and she's just so she just gets so emotional she's a bad i said i really she is what happened to controlling your emotions yeah <laughs> you know? and it's like, like she spent how many years in the court of Cameland? wouldn't you have picked up how morgase carries herself and how she speaks and how she's able to use her voice as power it's like you would think that would have rubbed off on you but again i yeah. think it's like and it's also like oh they don't respect me it's like no because you're you talk to them like i mean you talk to them like they're children and it's like yeah there's some rank and you need to command some authority but screaming does not authority make and yeah. so it's almost like Elida has substitute teacher energy where she, <laughs> you don't. You, that's what you should title this. Elida is a substitute teacher. Yeah, substitute teacher energy <laughs> where you know she's in charge, but at the same time, it's kind of like, what are you going to do? Like where she's like, oh, give me the pet, your penance. And if I don't think it's good, I'll make it three times worse. It's almost just kind of like, Okay. You're not making anyone respect you. It's like when the teacher goes, oh, I'll take your phones away. I'll do this. And you're like, great. That's a short-term thing. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, like if you're going to make someone write their own punishment, rather than saying if it's not bad enough, you know, it's not good enough, depending on you, how you view that, that sentence. If it's not a good enough punishment, I'll make it, you know, three times as bad. The... Uh, the better way to say that is right. You know, write me up what penance you think you deserve here. Um, I would hate for it to uh, to not be up to what I feel your penance should be. Yeah. Um, you know, if you word it like that, they're gonna their own imagination, much like Julian with the uh, what was it, mice and a box of salt or something oh, like uh, that. Figs um, and mice, I believe. Figs and mice, yeah. Much much like him when he's doing figs and mice. People's own imagination will do far worse than whatever you can say. So to say like. Okay, well, you know, it's, you know, if you don't make it epically bad, I'm going to make it three times worse. Yeah. Just be like, you know, I hope it's up to my standards. Um, oh. Because people will just be like, oh my God, what on earth is she going to think of? I better go something crazy. Yeah. yeah. Epiphany Epiphany makes a good point in the live chat. She says, Elida is capable of being subtle. She was in Camelon when she first met Rand. 
but it seems like it's something she really resents. She's like a kid who only wants to be in charge so they can throw out all the rules, except for the ones about obeying her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, it's that substitute teacher energy, or it's like when you get put in charge of the class while the teacher has to step out of the room and suddenly you are tyrannical. You are, you are a dictator in your sixth grade classroom, you know, because you have that power. I think Elida just doesn't, she likes the idea of power in theory, but then it gets there and she goes like, Oh shit, what do I do now? You know, there's a lot of paperwork with power. Yeah. Um, but it, I also, because we get Pot and Fane uh, as the second uh, POV, uh, mm-hmm. and we also get a mention of uh, Masima. Masima's been lurking in the background for the past three books. And, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And the Prophet is someone who I would be interested if, I've always said, in the show, Kill Off the Shido, or a majority of them at Dumai's Wells, have Fayil be captured by Masima. Because then it makes it so much more personal to Perrin. Because he's like, wait, Rand has a connection, to, you know? But again, yeah. it's that fun little thing of seeing all the little threads of, oh, right, Masima's a thing. Yeah. Um, I uh, That's an interesting idea. You just, uh, we'll, we'll have to chat about that um, uh, at some point when we're not recording. Because uh, that's that's an interesting concept. Wow, the, the dynamics there. Um it's a, certainly a shorter plot line. Yeah. Uh, I would certainly give it that much. Um, oh, yeah. It's a two-episode arc at that point. <laughs> yeah, probably. Just because when I got to those, so, that part in the books, I was kind of like, okay. Again, it's like it could have been so much sped up because it's like he has Ashamon. Perrin has Ashamon with him. He could have been like, okay, do you detect any of the weaves that he made? Great. Or something, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, but yeah, having and Pat and Fane is another character who just pops in every now and then, and his POVs are always very unsettling. Because mm-hmm. again, he has a power that's, you know, we've seen the firsthand the danger of, but he's fully embraced, and he even says like he doesn't know who he is anymore. He's lost in the sauce of serving the Dark One. Yeah. He, uh, well, yeah, he started that way and then his whole, you know, uh, meeting in Shadalogov and then Mashadar and it was just like, oof, what's, this is, uh, I'm convinced that when he met Mashadar in the ways, um, even though he claims that Mashadar was just all Moraine, says that he said, um, Mashadar was just like, oh no, this is too evil even for me. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm out, I'm out. Um, I think that Thane took over mashadar but in in like a seeded way like mashadar hopped on tried to to get fane and fane was just like oh oh puppy nice um and then you know planted some kind of seed inside mashadar and mashadar suddenly just like oh now i'm your willing slave um yeah i don't know there's just i know he gets a lot of powers from you know shadow logoth and that's where the mist thing and stuff comes from but I think that there was a bit of that coming from Mashadar as well. I think there was a merging of, they're, they're like cousin powers almost. Yeah. Um, there's something about the black wind and the mist of Mashadar. Where I'm like, yeah, wind, mists, evil, nastiness, 
destroy and rip one you know like they both kind of do that um yeah i i feel that that was a real uh, that an expansion moment for him um and it, they those powers grew together and then that was why i don't know the ways suddenly were much more usable for the shadow spawn afterwards i feel as well right um and yeah and as quite rightly pointed out in chat it is only after thing goes through the ways that the black wind tries to come out of it you know, everyone swears that it can't do it, yeah. but it kind of does try. <laughs> and I feel like it was kind of going to get out, to be honest. So... Baby bird needed to be pushed out of the nest, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And so with Fane being in the tower, we don't really, because we know it's been two months since uh, after Swan was deposed, but we don't know how long Fane has been in the tower because the really only other connection we get like when we get to Morghese's POV a little bit later we hear of the rising of Manether and of Perrin's actions in the two rivers but we don't know where Perrin's timeline lines up with like Swans and Min's and like the other characters you know because it's like this book starts probably midway through or in the last third of uh dragon reborn you know because we don't know how long it took men to get across the con- the westlands and so um i don't know if fane has had some influence on elida because like we saw with because there was a long-running theory that the reason why Egwene is kind of how she is is because of the times she sat with uh pat and fane in faldara you know and that's mm-hmm. sort of stuff rubbed off on her, which I don't know if I fully agree with because um, I think it's what people kind of like use to justify what she did, like why her ambition and all of that turns her against her friends. But I just think that's Egwene's ambition, not uh, any feign influence, you know? Yeah. Um I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think his powers were that uh, pervasive to other people at that point in the story. Yeah. Um, I do think it is, um, you know, he, he saw that his powers grow. And by the time he turns back up in the two rivers, you know, he's got the whole dagger situation and stuff on the go, especially um, later on in the books. I think those are things that, you know, his, his power grows more then and becomes more like okay i can affect people in different ways i can touch them and they can you know uh, oh that's just doesn't describe that as like his corruption or something the and then how is uh let me check out in the book um i know because he like rub, rubs his hand like he just sort of like i don't know caresses some person's cheek and they're like oh the, the kid might survive it might not am i thinking right is that vain oh I might be thinking wrong. it might be someone else oh man I, I know in the, yeah, okay, so, if, yeah. yeah, she says it was Fane. I right. can't remember if it was in this book, because I honestly don't know if he reappears in this book. No, so I think it was later on in the series. Yeah. But it is, you know, his powers start to grow much, much later. Um, uh, true, yes, oh, it does yeah. then. I uh, think that's a crown yeah. of swords, I believe, because yeah. that's when Rand gets the second, <laughs> Rand, on top of everything, gets another wound. <laughs> Well, you know, why not? Let's let's exactly. have you know two of it. Let's have two of everything: two powers, 
you know, two two Avalins. Let's have, you know, uh, two Shadow Monsters that are, like one's win, one's missed. You know, let's have two of everything. Oh. You know, two rivers. Um, <laughs> oh my god, the two tears but, we shed yeah. when we see Yosha Stradowski go through all of this. <laughs> <laughs> and like he knows it's coming he's reading oh, the books yeah um, he yeah he... but no sorry go oh no, no no i was just like yeah no he he's fully aware he's he's prepared yeah. um but talking about uh, uh, you know Gwen and then elida i i think she just saw something familiar i think she's just such a you know she's so sure of herself that she then you know, will do things, and especially when she thinks she knows better, you know, she's a lighter that thinks she's forward thinking. Yeah. You know, if a lighter actually thought about her actions um, much longer term or even partially short term in some ways, you know, she would have better results. Gwen thinks about what she's doing and, you know, once she's decided something, she sticks to it. Now, that sometimes that means you make a stupid decision yeah. um, or a decision that's very questionable. You know, especially in the way she treated Nynaeve, there are many, there are better ways to, to deal with that. But that was a little bit of a like, oh, you've always been the upper hand. And now I'm the one with the upper hand, but you don't realize it. So I need to be like uber hardcore to kind of make you feel that. Yeah. I don't think that's Fane's influence. I think that's just her surety of her own, you know, who I am as a person. And I've made the decision and I'm going to back myself. Oh, yeah. Egwene um, fully seems like, well, I did that. Can't back down now. And yeah, it's something um, I love about with. Yeah, sorry, with, with um, Elida, I, I I don't think Fane knows that he has this influence mm. yet, and I think it's very mild. And I think he's literally just poisoning Elida with the things he's saying. Yeah. You know, um, as as he says here, he starts talking about like, oh, you know, Randolph or is, um, you know, uh, what's the words here? He's d- devious and sly, uncaring of anybody or anything but his own power, um, so on and so forth. He is just laying out his own anger and disgust, um, projecting his horror at himself onto the person he's decided that he's at you know is at fault for his situation. Yeah. And despite the fact Randolph or didn't be like, hey, go be a dark friend. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> Rand was just like, hey, bud. Like, yeah. great. Mm. So I I do think that he is. Um, poisoning her mind through the old-fashioned sense of just, you know, pouring out just horrible things about Randolph or as opposed to actually, you know, manipulating her on a soul-to-soul level, I suppose. I'm I'm sure her metaphysics work there. Because he even makes a mention of, oh, she won't, like, she's not someone who will bend, but she can be, she's very easily broken. Like, he says that uh god i should really have this bookmarked i should have done that um <laughs> where is it um oh um in many ways she was not so tough he had heard as the woman who had borne the stole before her harder yes and more cruel but more brittle too more difficult to bend likely but easier to break so i think yeah he can easily poison um elida's mind and i think that's maybe what his ultimate plan is is to kind of just fuck with her you know to get because yeah. he wants the dagger i mean he gets the dagger oh but, yeah yeah um but yeah he's a very very fascinating character and i can't wait to see what they do with him in the show mm-hmm. so um we are at our last section and we got the forsaken which is 
again, it's, I think we mentioned this in the beginning, it's a very dark and ominous chapter because, like, I think the threat is growing more and more palpable. And listening to this section again, I went, wow, the Forsaken are so arrogant and so very, like, Mm -hmm. you guys really think a lot highly of yourselves. Because they're talking about, um, I think, Ravin or or Landvir says, uh, like, we could die. We are mortal. And Grunda goes, "Uh, human. Uh, Is that what you would call ourselves? Is that what we call ourselves? Um, Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, you're human, my dude. I'm so sorry like you're just a human who got very very lucky you know um but it's also so funny to see i'm like oh right half the people in this room by the end of this book are going to be dead so like <laughs> all of their scheming and really like Lanfear kind of taught playing down her own involvement with rand and going like well, uh, I don't know. I've just been watching from the sidelines. I have no idea what he does. And it's like, I I think Lanfear was very much, her plan with Rand, that where she was like, let's get rid of everyone else. It'll be you and I together, secretly, I'm, and then I'm going to probably kill you. And then I'll be Nabliss. I'll be uh, sitting with the Dark Lord. I think this is her setting up, trying to... Uh, ease these other Forsaken, uh, Samuel, Grendel, and Ravine into a false sense of security where they're kind of, she doesn't play up his power. I don't think she ever goes, oh no, he's really, like, yeah, he's taking down four of them of the Forsaken. However, those were idiots. Those were like, that's easy. That's easy targets. So I think mm-hmm. she's trying to set up like, yeah, you should really go after them. And... Because uh, I think she tries to get Rand to go to Kyrian because of Ravine and Morghese. And I think she's like, I think Land, it's, Landfear is very smart. I mean, she sometimes lets her anger get the best of her, but I think it's a very interesting moment with her, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, this whole sort of, if you think about how many books there are for, yeah. you know, to be the beginning of book five for suddenly it's like, Oh look, half the remaining forsaken are suddenly, you know, forming a, an alliance um, or, you know, talking about an alliance of some kind seem it, it's a good way to amp up the danger they're in as evidenced by, you know, uh, some of the, you know, some of the points made to each other. Um, but also to the reader to be like, well, they're kind of, you know, realizing that well, some of them have realized, Hey, we should, kind of work together a little bit as opposed to trying to stab each other in the back constantly yeah. or not care what the other is doing and, you know, work, uh, you know, in a way that stops the other person from achieving anything. But I, I don't know. It's kind of weird, uh, weird to me that Lanthier was the one that went first and was like, Hey, I'm making you for a party of forsaken. Yeah. And we're all going to have a chat and not kill each other in the process. Um, but there's also no one else I think could have gone. Perhaps, you know, um, Samael could have gone instead. Um, you know, that's, uh, I don't know if that's less dangerous to yeah. Ravine or m- more dangerous. I don't know. Because they seem like the little interactions that him and uh, Samael have, you're kind of like, 
I don't think they would have worked well together, but also it's like, I would have kind of liked to have seen like, you know, two male forsaken working together because the male forsakens that we've gotten, like Agnor, Balthamel, Ashamael, and uh, Bilal are, are, are all dead because they seem yeah. to just be working by themselves and got a lot of their pride got in the way. So it would have been really interesting to see what Samael and Ravine could have cooked up for Rand, you know, and it does suck because uh, by the end of this book, Ravine's veil fired and then, you know, Samael, I, like, I know he dies at the end of Crown of Swords and I know he and Grendel started working together, I think, I believe so. Like they were doing call boxes or uh, whatever they were called with the uh, Shido, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's a very, I think it's a really good uh, way to set the tension for the rest of this book because now that we know the Forsaken are a threat and are, like, this, like essentially the dead wood has been taken away and yeah. we know what happens to Landry at the end of this. But I think as a first-time reader, you're kind of wondering if maybe this will be a showdown between Ravine or, and Asmodian and Rand or Samael, Asmodian and Rand, you know, you kind of are left with looking out for whoever could be the next possible threat. But it's also funny because it's like for all of Lanfear's planning and her like, yeah, don't worry guys, I got this cut to 50 something chapters later. She doesn't got this, you know? Yeah. Um, it's yeah i i i think this was a very cleverly situated plot by lanthier to keep the forsaken away not because she thought the dark one wanted randall for kept alive but because it allowed her to be closer to him and you know steal him away for her eventual plan i mean that's even um where is the line i've just read here you know i can keep an eye on him unseen but the rest of you must stay clear or run the risk of detection we must draw him back um you know she plays it as if it's like a plan that is going to benefit them all oh yeah when really i think you know it's a double cross that she just wants to get rand all to herself and then take on the dark one. Oh yeah um, and if she keeps them separate you know from him and focused on a slightly different goal then you know she can play the other angles and actually have them continue to be whittled away yeah and i think that's what she wanted to have happened because i think it's a very smart plan in theory but i think there's again there's so many other factors that come into play with this that i don't think Lanfear really took into consideration I think she was so blinded by the fact that she just wanted Rand all to herself that I don't know. Sh uh, like shit changes, dude. <laughs> yeah. It, it is, it, you know, if that's what she is trying, it's a very clever plan because I mean, I don't know why any of the forsaken would have agreed to this, but you know, the, the statement is like, Oh, if we can present the dragon reborn kneeling to the great Lord and day return, why share the honor and the rewards further than need be? four of them being like here's the dragon reborn for you dark one um like that's a lot of forsaken to work together yeah um, you know even at the height of their time they didn't work together in that manner they were like oh this is my niche that's your niche cool um 
we might have a fight with battle with with soldiers at some point but that's more just so we can torture people and kill them and stuff yeah. not because i actually want to take you down um this is just me scoring brownie points with the boss um yeah and it makes me wonder it's, it's like it's like a Go ahead. Oh, and it makes me wonder it's like i don't know how the dark one would have reacted it's like oh the four of you work together great you'll all be nameless dark one probably would have been like cool rand's nameless y'all are fucked <laughs> like he probably would just been like mm, you know it would have been really interesting to see what would have happened had rand been turned over to the dark one but i do think like all of their scheming all of their planning would have blown up in their face anyway when they essentially got nothing and rand got everything i think yeah so and she has also picked the three that like to hide in the shadows or you know build up a little base of power i mean (laughs) if i were a forsaken i would probably do what these ones are doing in terms of like i used to play oh god what's the game um it doesn't matter but it was like one of those strategy games and you know you build a base and you open like build certain buildings that give you allow to you know oh i can now research this and you know then i can build this tank or this type of soldier or anything of that sort of nature and i'd have like a really secure base and it didn't matter what they sent like it would just like all my defenses will take them out sort of thing and then when i was ready and i had like an unbeatable army i would just be like right go out there and just demolish the enemy in like 10 seconds flat oh yeah and i think that's the best strategy to have and i i do take the same approach i have a former roommate when we do game nights he likes to play strategy games i like to kind of lay low let my power build and then you know in the last round come back in with a strong army and be like hi you know yeah and i think that's a good bye you know essentially, yeah <laughs> you know because it's like you know all the other forsaken who have actively gone out mogedian not against Rand, but really who's really put herself out there and Lanfear in a sense have both come out alive but i also think they were smart about you know when mogedian and 9a fought off fought mogedian just went peace we're not finishing this battle here we're gonna do it another time and i feel like Lanfear's also kind of been playing into the yeah rand won't harm a woman so we're good you know yeah so i think that's why she kind of gears rand more towards going after ravine for the end of the book because i think it's like it's a man we're good and i think yeah he also i forget how he gets matt to start leaving for or maybe that's lord of chaos where he's like go to tear and face samael yeah so it was all uh they were just making like a a big to-do of going somewhere and then it was like last second actually we're going here instead um, just to play a bit of misdirection, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, I just, I, I do, I, I enjoy that she's playing off this whole like, oh, well, you know, we're the ones that like to build a base of power. So you do that because that's what you'd like to do. That makes you feel secure whilst I keep an eye on him and the others that just like to be wild and be, oh, I'll go here, I'll go there, I'll do this, I'll do that, you know, can then be whittled away. And secretly she's then tinkering in the background to get them whittled away as well um when they're not expecting it oh yeah i don't know it just i i enjoy that but it you know to see them four quote working together just continues this opening prologue of like um this there's something not right here like oh it's a forsaken so it's always not right but this is more more wrong than usual 
even though they all be like, yeah, this makes sense. Let's do this. Um, so it, it's, it's like, it's you, interesting writing. It's like, you know, the situation is bad when the forsaken are working together, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, yes. that's when it's like, Oh, the chips are really down at this point, you know, because after yeah. this really, I mean, you have, I mean, not even Grendel and Erengar were really working to get, I mean, it's like, I think after this, after all the shit goes down. I think a lot of the Forsaken were like, mm, let's not do a big group project together anymore. Like <laughs> they started doing maybe like, it was like two at a time were working together. But even then I, yeah, I fully can't. I know. I just remember Samael and Grendel worked together in a crown of swords. And then Grendel and Erengar. And I think for the most part, Semrog, Demandred, Mogedian, uh god who's left osengar well osengar and erengar so just like yeah, yeah. you uh masana kind of just fucked off and did their own thing and succeeded <laughs> you know yeah yeah but did did pretty well at that actually like definitely one of the most successful ones until perrin turns up and you know by pure coincidence just be like oh it's just a weave bye oh yeah um you know <laughs> i do love that Egwene spends the entirety of um talking to anyone in Teleromriod who isn't an IEL being like, oh, you don't understand the dangers. You should go home. You should not be here. And then Perrin turns up and gives her the same lecture, but so fast because he's like, I don't even care that much really or have the time to give a monkeys that you're know, doing this dangerous thing. We're like, it's just a weave. I'm fucking off. Bye. Yeah, no, um, it's, you know. <laughs> I can't, I like, it's again, it was such a great moment in this show. And I really do hope they keep it because it's so funny. And like yeah. just for the pure look of shock on uh, Egwene's face, yeah, yeah, because th there's there's a moment where her whole surety and herself, like, yo, oh, I know who I am, I know what I can do, I'm gonna back myself a thousand percent. Just be like, do I actually know anything? Because like the blacksmith turned <laughs> up and was just like, oh, well, you you you're basically a novice compared to what I can do. Yeah. Um, and I don't even have the time to tell you that because I just can't be bothered. I've got bigger fish to fry, you know? And I, I bet in that moment, she's like, well, now I feel like a first year student again, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I just got, you know, it's like a first year physics student's just be like, hey, Albert, this is how you should do shit. And Albert's just like, huh, excuse me, really? No, I don't even have the time to tell you how wrong you are. Goodbye. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. No, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely. Mm. Um. But I think this is a good spot to end this episode. Um, mm -hmm. I think we, we have firmly demolished this prologue, and it's great yeah. to see. But thank you for coming on, for gracing us this uh, inaugural episode of Loyal Spoils. Um, where can they find you? Oh, where can't they find <laughs> uh, Yeah, so, I, I, you know, I didn't even say my own channel name at the beginning. So uh, my my content is all under the umbrella of uh, Malkia Talks. Uh, there's a, a full spoilers podcast, which Prince has been on. Um, yeah, an amazing episode all about representation in the Wheel of Time. Um, that was such a great recording. Um, still... Still one of the highlights of the podcast for me. Yes, um, thank you. It, you know, it's it's a beautiful episode. Um, I do a YouTube channel. You can check me out there where I do I do a live uh, show once a week on a Thursday night, Threefold Talk. 
Um, I do other things on there, um, you know, reactions, cooking videos, narrations occasionally, crazy stuff. There will be stuff on there for where I'm um, very, very, very lucky to be going to London uh, to the to the world premiere. So I'll be sharing videos from that. Yeah. Spoiler free, spoiler filled. Um, and then, yeah, follow me on Twitter. Again, it's Malkia Talks. It never used to be, but I got it changed. Um, and you can see my jokes and, and random comments on there um, and me just tiptoeing around um, anything around like, what? Well, that's too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, even though it's one of the major, one of the main platforms you can find me on, I still am not, I don't like, I, I tweet, but I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a, I don't live on Twitter. That's fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm there, but you'll see me be like, just jump in and be like, hi. And, oh, I'll be there for a second. And then you don't see me for a day. I'm like, hi, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, just uh, you can literally just Google Malkia Talks. I'm the only one out there using that, and uh, you will be able to find me um, anywhere and everywhere. Awesome. And if you are listening to the pretty polished uh, version of this episode, you can always come join us on our Loyals Book Club server. The link is in our bio. We do plan on continuing on uh, uh, the journey of our spoiler less, spoiler less regular episodes of uh, Loyal's Book Club, and we do intend on doing a full-season review of the first season of Wheel of Time, which premieres in 13 days. Yes, okay, it's 13 days. I'm so glad I said that, because I was so confident I was going to be wrong. So no, It's 13 days. You are right there, don't worry. Oh, it is very exciting. Um, once again, Rob, thank you for coming out. I do really appreciate this, and we will see you all in the next one. Have a good one. Bye.